you're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, everyone. From San Francisco, I'm your host, Zach Moore. This afternoon, I'm very happy to be joined in the Mountain Time Zone by Paige and in the Eastern Time Zone by Matt, Tim, and Chad. We're here to recap Ohio State's 34-10 victory over Michigan State in the blackout that was Ohio Stadium last night. I just want to mention a few numbers to put this game into context, then we'll go around the horn to get some initial impressions. Despite two early fumble recoveries from the defense in Spartan, deep in Spartan territory, it was a dreadful start for the Ohio State offense last night. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, they finished the quarter with three points and 16 yards of total offense. A stout, sparty front seven uh, held the Buckeye rushing attack to zero yards on 10 attempts and sacked Justin Fields twice. I think it was uh, Bocce on, on both sacks. Blake Hobiel missed what for him is a chip shot field goal from 37 yards. I think it was easily the worst quarter of football we've seen this season from the Buckeyes. Then the second quarter happened. Ben Victor scored on a 60-yard pass reception, and J.K. Dobbins broke off a 63-yard touchdown run as the Buckeyes put up 24 points and 296 yards of offense in the second quarter. Habiel hit a 43-yard field goal just before the half to put the Buckeyes up 27-10, and Ohio State remained firmly in control from that point forward. After the first quarter, Ohio State outgained Sparty 513 to 235. It's pretty impressive. J.K. Dobbins finished with 172 yards on 24 carries and a touchdown. Justin Fields was 17 of 25 for 206 yards passing and two TDs. He also ran for 61 yards and a touchdown. But Fields also threw his first interception of the season and also, and also lost a fumble late in the fourth quarter. Uh, ben Victor led the Buckeyes in receiving with 79 yards on three receptions and a touchdown. And while the Ohio State defense held Michigan State to 285 yards of total offense and forced three turnovers, the Spartans did have some success moving the ball through the air in the second and third quarters. Brian Lewerke finished 20 of 38 for 218 yards and a touchdown, as well as one interception. Jordan Fuller led the Buckeyes with seven tackles and an interception that should have been a pick six, but was nullified by a, a bullshit penalty on Baron Browning. Speaking of Browning, I thought he really stood out. He had a sack as well as the pass deflection that led to Fuller's interception. So with all that out of the way, let's go around the horn and get some initial impressions. Tim, you were at the game last night, and I think also your score prediction was closest to the final score. So why don't we get started with you? What did you see last night? Yeah, so as you said, Michigan State came out ready to play. And you know, I would even go as far as to say I think their defensive line sort of owned our offensive line for that first quarter. Dobbins wasn't getting any room to run. Fields was under pressure. He took a bad, really bad sack. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they just looked they looked really tough. And he kind of sat, and then we missed the field goal, as you said, and he kind of sit there going, ah, you know, God, is it going to be another one of these games again? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, D'Antonio always has that defense ready to play. So, you know, you roll to the second quarter, and you just kind of started to see – the Buckeyes begin to kind of get their footing on offense. The offensive line started looking a little better. Dobbins getting a little bit more running room, but not a ton uh, initially. Uh, and, you know, 
throughout all of this, though, I think that what happened is, is what I felt like in the stadium was the Ohio State would, would give the ball up and it go back to Michigan State, and Ohio State's defense just showed up mm-hmm. every time. And I think that that gave the offense some energy uh, and, and allowed them to kind of you know, get, get, get their footing back and, and kind of get on offense and, and really try and you know, make some good plays, which they then ended up doing. Um, and so you know, I give a ton of credit to the Ohio State defense yesterday. I mean, Lewerke's not the best, and they don't have a ton of skilled players, but still – when your offense is supposed to be, you know, as good as Ohio State's is and coming out and scoring, I mean, we were like so fired up at the beginning of the game, come out, fast start, let's go, let's hang 14 on these guys in the first quarter. And you get to the end of the first quarter and you're like, holy shit, like this is going to be a four-quarter game. <laughs> Hand it to the defense for, for basically, you know, sticking Michigan State right in the eye and giving the ball back to the offense to give them another shot. So that's as I kind of think through that first half, that's really kind of how I felt the game was playing out was, mm-hmm. you know, the offense wasn't great, but the defense showed up and gave them the ball back, and eventually the offense figured it out. Very nice. Um, Chad, what did you see? Well, I, I, it was great, man. I, you know, a little like Tim said, to start out, but like, in years past, I would be like, I think you said it prior to the podcast, Zach, I'd be freaking out. I mean, I'd be like, what the, you know, what is going on? Don't, don't let this shit do this, you know, man. But I was just, I was actually sitting there with Jimmy and we were just really, you know, pretty calm. And the defense did step up big time. Um, but then, as you know, like getting to the second quarter, um, we're outscoring opponents. Uh, to date, 134 to 20 in the second quarter. It's pretty ridiculous. That's insane. Yeah, to lead the nation by like 114 points. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. I thought there was a lot of you know that Josh Myers is a mauler dude. He's a he's a beast on that uh, you know the center position, and he <laughs> was. I mean, I'd like you know the shout out to the whole offensive line, but I think Josh Myers he made some big holes for for JK last night. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know. But receivers, again, they're just, you know, they're great. I knew when uh, Victor dropped that big first down catch, I said he's going to make it up. And then, like, you know, next next series he did. So, you know, the defense, I mean, what more can you say? I know we're going to go into a little bit more detail with players, but like Wade and but he stepped up last night, Floyd on that. You know, they're just – the defense is just solid, man. They're yeah. back to the silver bullets. You can actually put that label on them. Again. Amen. So, but <laughs> – I was excited. I, I I continue just to be more and more impressed with uh, with Ryan Day. Excellent, Matt. Why don't you give us your initial impressions? Well, uh, Sparty came into the game uh, holding teams to 55 yards rushing. I think that average may go up a little bit. <laughs> um, 323 yards we got against them. Uh, yeah. I was, you know, I was really. I mean, the defense. We have so many great players on defense. Uh, future guys will be playing on Sunday, as Paige likes to say. Uh, I didn't have any fear that they get their composure, especially the way Zach Harrison was stepping up. I mean, that kid looked like an upperclassman mm-hmm. when he was playing yesterday. Yeah, he was just good. The, just the, the intensity that he was bringing both to uh, the end and as a tackle. Um, the thing that uh, you know I was a little concerned about, and if you look at the numbers, it kind of shows it, is that the possessions between a team are fairly close. I mean, 
Ohio State had 31 minutes and uh, uh, Michigan State had 28. I mean, they were on the field a lot longer than they should have been on a lot of those times, which is great. It's great because now we have things that we see flaws in our in our our, our high caliber system that day and uh, Happy and Johnson are going to go back and they're going to pick apart. And you need games like this. You need to test it. We all talked about yawn, yawn, Miami of Ohio, yawn, yawn, Nebraska. We need to be tested. Well, there it was, folks. Mm-hmm. And and in the end, we still covered the spread. Uh, but I think we showed that we have things to work on. And it's always better to have that now rather than during playoff time or championship uh conference championship time so mm-hmm. again I, I i enjoy i enjoy games like that more than i do blowouts because i feel like when you show your vulnerabilities and you fit your failures you it's passed toward success that's so, a good point uh, yeah I, I and how it ended i mean dobbins didn't even play the fourth quarter mm-hmm. i mean and T, you know T almost had a hundred so you know hats off to like what plumber said uh myers and munford getting hurt and coming back like a tiger yeah and pulling weight to make that uh, make those holes possible for those two guys. You know, great effort. Great effort. Yeah, the offensive line. Uh, you, you see your starting left tackle go down at the end of the first quarter, and I was thinking, oh god. And then, yeah. you know, they the, the the offensive line just turned it on and began to dominate uh, after losing its starting left tackle, which again speaks to that depth along the offensive line we've been talking about all season. Paige wanted to get your impressions of what you saw yesterday. What did you see? Well, so truth be told, I only saw uh, the first half of the game, and I had to watch it uh, being in the mountains time zone. I was up in the mountains. So I was at the sports bar with a bunch of people that don't care about Ohio State. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting, you know, right? So you're just trying to think, okay, yeah, let's just go, you know, someplace, and hopefully the TV's on. Uh, but something that Tim said I think is interesting, right, because you can't really tell when you're in a crowded bar like that. You don't have any sound like, you know, the crowd – uh, you know, is it, is it loud in there? Is it not loud in there? Are people freaking out, right? But uh, I think we all were kind of freaking out, uh, especially, you know, Michigan State, gifting them two turnovers, like, and the end of the first quarter, you're only up three. But like Plummer said, I was just sitting there, and I, I was not nervous. I was totally calm. I was like, they're going to be fine. And I don't think any of us would have felt like that um, even, you know, going back the last three years. And so the big thing that I was just thinking in the back of my head, it's like, yep, yeah, okay. And I was wrong. You know, I didn't think this would be a close game whatsoever. Michigan State came to play. Um, I tip my hat to them. But I just, I just was thinking, you know, if this was Meyer and this was, um, you know, the zone read offense, right? Like that is the main staple of your offense he would have just gone back to what he's most comfortable with. And that game would have been, you know, JT running the, the zone option over and over and over again. And we probably would have won, but it would probably been 23 to 20. Mm-hmm. And so I give a ton of credit to Ryan Day, the way he looks at a game offensively. Um, obviously, they're making amazing adjustments in the second quarter. But how do you, you know, okay, Michigan State came in with a great game plan. They probably, you know, took away some things that Ohio State wanted to do. And Ohio State adjusts, and the amount of weapons that they have, you know, if if you're on the other sideline, you just got to be shaking your head. Like, you cannot stop everything. And I think having the the read option as, 
a component of your offense, which was deadly last night, right? They, they, deadly. they did sort of unleashed fields. Um, but when it's not like your total identity, it, it just totally changes the scheme of the game. And then Ohio State, you know, rolls. And then by halftime, I'm like, this game is, you know, it's probably in the bag. We're not going to have to sweat it out through four quarters. Like I think a lot of us were worried about after the first quarter. Mm. I'm looking at a, uh, a, te- a, a tweet from Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports, who I actually really like. And, and this kind of sums up how I feel about, about the game last night. Ohio State slept walk to a blowout of a top 25 team, which is exactly why the Buckeyes stated their case for number one in college football. And, and that's what it felt like to me. I, I think there are two ways you can win impressively in college football. You can, one, dominate your opponent from the opening kick to the final gun. Or you can show up and not bring your A game on a given night and still win decisively, which I think last night's performance falls in the latter category. I mean, consider this. Ohio State got off to a dreadful start, 16 yards of total offense in the first quarter. For the game, they had 10 penalties for 85 yards, two turnovers, several drop passes, one by Ben Victor that could have easily gone for a touchdown, a second by K.J. Hill on a third down play that would have gone for a first down, but Ohio State had to punt. Uh, on the second play from scrimmage, you had um, uh, you had uh, Justin Fields overshooting, uh, who was our tight end? Luke Farrell was wide open in the middle of the field on the second play from scrimmage. That would have gone for 30, 40 yards. That's a pass play he normally makes. The defensive well, line. Zach. Yeah, go ahead, One Tim. One thing on that is, is, is on that Luke, and that Luke uh, Farrell overthrow, Austin Mack was wide open on yeah. the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, for a touchdown. <laughs> All he has to do is see him, and it's a touchdown. Yeah, and, and that's the view you had being at the game. So so you had Fields, you know, early on missing guys downfield, either not seeing guys who are open or, over, or in the case of Farrell, overthrowing him. Uh, it, to me, it seemed the defensive line took a while to start getting pressure on Lewerke. There were some missed tackles. Consider all that, and yet Ohio State won comfortably anyway. And, and Chad, as you mentioned, they continued to be utterly lethal in the second quarter, outscoring their opponents 134-20 to 20 in that quarter. To me, that speaks to excellent coaching adjustments. That speaks to toughness and competitiveness. It also speaks to how explosive Ohio State can be. You know, last night wasn't the first time the Buckeyes turned a close game in the first quarter into a blowout by halftime. You consider they led Cincy 7-0 after the first quarter, but by halftime it was 28-0. That game was over. Uh, they led Indiana 7-3 to after the first quarter, uh, but by halftime it was 30-10. to The game was over. And similarly last night, uh, Ohio State really put the game away in the second quarter, uh, up 27-10. I know technically Michigan State was still in it, and really the game probably didn't end until after that missed field goal at the beginning of the third quarter. But uh, that was my impression, that Ohio State, and again, this is start, that they've, they've been showing the markings of a championship team all season, and that's what championship teams do. The truth is you're not going to show up with your A-plus game every single Saturday, and Ohio State did not yesterday. And they faced a Michigan State team that was keyed up and ready to play and had a good game plan, and yet, in spite of all that, they win comfortably. The last uh, point I'll – sorry, go ahead. Someone's going to make a point? Yeah, you, so I'm just curious. Why do you feel that was sleepwalking? Because I think that Michigan State came out with a – game plan on both sides of the ball mm. obviously they saw something that they could exploit yeah uh, but i yeah the steep walking thing i don't I, they didn't play their best 
you know, they didn't play flawless, but I think they were still dominant. I'd hardly call it sleepwalking. Well, that was Pete. Th- those are Pete Thamel's words, and maybe I don't quite agree with sleepwalking either, Sloaner. You're right they, because you know you look at Dobbins the way he played. He was fantastic. He clearly brought his A game, and there were several other performances with that were A plus. But but I uh, I don't know, dude. So you get gifted two 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 fumbles, and you don't. Yeah, I, I didn't even think we scored on either one of those. We That's did pretty much. Sleep. They were terrible. Yeah. Well, no, I yeah, mean, we got three points out of two turnovers. Yeah, and yeah. And, and both well, of those turnovers. First quarter. Right. Yeah, first quarter. Ohio State was set up at the Michigan State twenty-two yard line after the first fumble that was returned by Malik Harrison, and then the second fumble, I think they were set up at the twenty-seven yard line of Michigan State and only came away with three points. Hey, they committed ten penalties for eighty-five yards, and penalties have not been an issue all year long until this game. That that's. Yeah, that, that, that to me showed that they weren't quite as focused as they've been previously. The drop passes by Victor, by Hill, Fields overthrowing a couple guys. I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's, those were all, many of those were unforced mistakes by Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but they win comfortably anyway against a quality opponent who at the same time, Matt, I think this is the point you were making, that Michigan State actually did come into the game with a good plan and they executed well early on. So you got to give credit to them. So... Yeah, I think both things can I'd be make, true. Zach, yeah, and the other, the only other point I'd make is having been in the stadium. I know there's some on this podcast who will, you know, remain unnamed. <laughs> Chad, who likes to call <laughs> the crowd the wine and cheese crowd, <laughs> and I'm telling you, last night that was not the wine and cheese crowd. I'm just well, looking that, at it right now. Michigan that, State had 13 third downs, of which they went four for 13 on every single one of those 13 third downs the entire stadium was on its feet that's great and roaring that's, that's great so awesome and marcy said that to me she sent me a text saying chad you would be so impressed because every third down the entire stadium was up and that that made me very happy that's because, beautiful yes uh, there's yeah. no wine and there's no it. cheese in Ohio State. <laughs> Not where I'd be i'd be drinking it and eating it <laughs> yeah i was gonna say Tim, did you have to like did you have to close the window in the club section because it was too loud for you? So the last point I was going to make is that it, it does seem like a great time for an off week. I mean, you had Thayer Mumford lead the game. Damon Arnett left the game and did not play the yeah. second half. Chase Young even looked a little banged up there late in the fourth quarter. Tim, I don't know if you could see that from where you were sitting, but the camera focused in on Young late in the fourth quarter. Uh, after a defensive stand, he was on the sidelines holding his shoulder. He later said after the game, he's fine. But this is a really good time for Ohio State to rest, rest up, get guys healthy. Um, so the, the the bye was was really well-timed. And I know they've got another one coming later on, I think after the Wisconsin game, if I'm not mistaken, which is good. So uh, those are my initial impressions. Anybody have anything to add uh, before we move on to our top players on offense and defense from the game? Uh, you know, one thing that you mentioned, Zach, during when we were texting is that that play with uh, uh, Victor. Yeah. Uh, were they, were they, that was a perfect example of how this coaching staff is really great at adjusting. Mm. And they used Penn State's aggressiveness. Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State. Yeah. Sorry, Michigan State's aggressiveness to make that big play. for, And that was such a beautiful play to watch. It was. And they played at a root. It just was such great at using, at baiting their defense who was being overly aggressive mm-hmm. and it, it bit them in the ass. And it was, you know, <laughs> I, again, it's great to have, like, that's the, the most promising thing about this team 
uh, which Paige alluded to. It's like they are, their, their minds are flexible, malleable, and, and almost eager to adjust to things and almost welcoming something that's going to, so they can figure a way either up, uh, around or through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that was, you could really see the influence of Justin Fields, just his presence and the threat that he brings as a runner, because really at the end of the day, I don't want to say he was responsible, but he was a, he had a big hand in both of Ohio State's big plays in the first half. The first, as you mentioned, was the long pass play to, to Ben Victor. Uh, you know, they, it, was a, it was a fake bootleg. Michigan State bit, and it was an easy throw over the top. And even on the long run by J.K. Dobbins, Tim, I don't know if you noticed this from where you were sitting in the stadium, but it was a zone read, and the safety from Michigan State bought the fake and actually took several steps to the right thinking that Fields had the ball. The play went to the left and just the respect that he had for Fields as a runner and the fact that he moved just a few steps to the right opened up a huge running lane for for Dobbins that led to the touchdown. And that's the difference that Fields make. I mean, he doesn't have to be carrying the ball or throwing the ball to really have an impact on the game. Uh, he's that he's that valuable to the offense. Uh, well, fellas, why don't do you think? Um, go ahead, Paige. So, so what, one thing I noticed, right? Again, so sitting, no sound, but it's it's now it's every game I've noticed this when they go to Ryan Day to start the game and do like you know the whatever pre kickoff mm-hmm. uh, interview. He seems angry. Yeah, he doesn't smile. He seems just like kind of incensed by it, and I just. You know, and, and there was something, I don't know if it was a legit tweet or something last week where like, oh, yeah, it's like everyone said we wouldn't be contenders this year. And now everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. I'd prefer it if you weren't jumping on the bandwagon. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's only the, the team that has this nasty edge like Sloaner was just talking about. I actually think it's coming from Ryan Day. Yeah. And and I think he's coaching with a chip on his shoulder that's rubbing off on the team. And that's just watching yeah. his facial expressions uh, to start that game yesterday. He is just, he looks pissed off at the world. Yeah. I know. I love it. Um, yeah, he does. Well, they're taking their cues from Ryan Day, which, you know, college teams often do with their coaches, right? The coaches are kind of, they set the tone. And yeah, there's kind of a, a ruthlessness. He, he's got this very nice, pleasant demeanor, I think, in his in his press conferences. And it can be easy to to take the guy for you know for a nice guy, but there's a, a quiet ruthlessness about him um, that that you know that's great. I mean that's exactly what this team guys, needs. Did you guys happen to see Zach? Did you happen to see like uh, when they were doing like all the pregame stuff on ABC? They showed a, a couple clips of an Ohio State practice with Ryan Day. I did see that. Did you guys happen to see that? He's running out the field like he's all like it was intense. That's cool. I like him. Uh, he, 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 he has an intensity about him. over there rubbing his head the entire game. <laughs> oh he does have an intensity about him. There, there's no question. And uh, you, it's starting to see, you can start to see this team taking on his personality. And it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, well, tell you what, guys, why don't we move on to the kind of the next segment here? Um, I, I want each of you guys to, to mention who you think your offensive and defensive players of the game were. Tim, I'm going to kick it back over to you. Why don't you give us your the two players that stood out to you on both sides of the ball? 
So I think there's just a couple obvious guys on offense, but I'm going to go with Dobbins. Um, again, seeing what happened in the first quarter, he was getting nothing. Offensive line wasn't giving him much. He wasn't getting anything on his own. It was a very, you could tell, it was a very frustrating first quarter for him, but just kept chipping away, kept chipping away, kept having tough run after tough run. Uh, and then to end up with the day that he had and the couple of big plays that he had, uh, I just think he showed a lot of toughness and a lot of grit. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, really enjoyed seeing him for all the hard work he's put in, sort of have that kind of a game against that kind of defense. Um, so I think he's my offensive player of the week. And um, on defense, I just I don't know how you, how you don't give it to Jordan Fuller. I mean, he had obviously had the most tackles. He should have had the pick six. The guy was everywhere making plays. And he's just a senior and a great guy and um, smart kid and, and just a, a great player. He's going to... He's going to be one of the better players Ohio State has had recently as a safety, for sure. It, he's solid. I tell you, I'm still pissed off that that pick six got called that guy got called back. I was telling Paige that was a pity flag from the from the officials, and I've seen that before. I remember back I, the Ohio State Michigan game in 2010. I was at that game, and Boom Heron had what should have been the longest touchdown run in Ohio State history. It should have been like 96 yards, but Dane Sansenbacher got called for some ticky tack illegal block he was the, he was just in front of of heron and he there was a cornerback or something it was the last man for him to beat and and sansenbacher cleared him away but got flagged for some bullshit penalty and that's exactly how i felt about the penalty um uh yesterday that nullified that touchdown uh that touchdown by uh by him i, I was so pissed about that that was a total pity flag by the uh <laughs> by the officials. How, how the hell? How the hell do you remember a play from 2010 I don't know. that didn't even fucking count? I, I don't know because I was there. Because I was there, and you know, Ohio State was up big at that That's point. It, the whole stadium went berserk. But that was definitely a pity flag from the officials for Michigan State. Um, I, I know there's this new rule about crackback blocks, and that's why he got flagged because you're not supposed to throw a block, even if it's a you know a little love tap. If the guy doesn't see it coming, you're not supposed to hit him. And, uh, and and that's what happened on that play. Uh, okay, Matt, I want to kick it over to you. Who are your offensive and defensive players of the game? Uh, offense, uh, you know what? I like the uh, grit of Munford. I think anyone who comes back and, uh, you know, they, those guys need their legs. Uh, and he, him being injured, I think it was his ankle, mm-hmm. coming back and then not just doing it a good job, but really – taking on that Michigan State defensive line and making holes for Dobbins to go through, I think that that's the kind of grit, that's the kind of aggression, that's the kind of perseverance that mm-hmm. uh, I, I, don't, I think a lot of times we don't see in college players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to show that after be, having been injured, like I, you know, Myers did amazing as well and could easily have been him. But for me, it was Munford showing that, uh, adversity and coming back not just to do his job but to do it uh doing ex- extraordinarily well so him for the offense and i'm gonna go i mean it's hard to argue against fuller but i'm gonna go uh mr wade who uh had yeah. a really good stat who he had a very good stat line as well five tackles uh one sack one tackle for a loss mm-hmm. qb rush uh, and a pass broken up. Uh, just a really solid effort. Seemed to be like Fuller seemed to be everywhere, and he's got a great attitude. I saw the interview with him as well. I don't know if he's a good kid. Like Tim seems to know all about if everyone's a good kid or not. But he's <laughs> he, 
he seems to be a nice guy. <laughs> he seems to be nice enough. But regardless, on the field, he's nasty, mean, and he does his job. So he gets my uh, he gets the Sloaner defensive pick of the game. <laughs> nice. I didn't realize Mumford came back into the game. I totally missed that. I thought we lost him for the game. So kudos to him for that. Hey, you know, Ryan Day was harping on toughness the entire offseason. Every time you he was interviewed, he said, we got to get tougher. We have to get tougher. Oh, that's and, right. And I think, I think you've just illustrated that. Uh, I didn't realize that's what, uh, that he had actually come back into the game. Chad, what do you think? Who, who are your, your, your offensive and defensive players of the game? Uh, offensive player of the game, I'm going to go, you know, I, I like, you know, there's two or three that you could actually name, but uh, I'm going to go with Fields, man. Nice. Pinnavilla Fields with, uh, he, what would be completed? Like, I don't know, he had a ton of yards, and I apologize. I'm not uh, up on my thoughts as of today. My brain is a little hazy um, <laughs> from a six hour drive and be with Jimmy for three days. So, but, I, you know, Fields is a man. Um, and I would like to give a shout out to Luke Farrell, man. He caught his first touchdown pass to Ohio State. I thought that was pretty special. Yeah. Because he's been wanting one. And he broke like, he said he almost broke out. Yeah. yeah, he broke like three tackles on the way to the end zone, too, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was nice. Yeah. And the defensive player of the game, I'm going to go with uh, the same guy that Sloaner did, uh, Wade, because, uh, you know, I had mentioned him, I think, uh, earlier in the game summary, but uh, the kid was all over the place. Man. Yeah. Knocked down three or four passes. He was had a couple uh, sacks on the quarterback. And, uh, you know, he's a stud. I mean, you know, there's there's like there's, there's a five or six people that you could say on both sides of the ball. You know what I mean? Like Victor, Victor that, that was a electrifying, like, leap into the end zone on that 60-yard touchdown pass. I mean, Master Teague, that kid, man, it's so nice. I think that's the future, man. That kid's a beast. Yeah. Um, I, I just, line, you know. just to back you up on Sean Wade, so he actually finished with five total tackles, one sack, he also broke up a pass and had one quarterback hurry, so he was all over the field. And then yeah. uh, you had mentioned Justin Fields. Yeah, he was uh, 17 to 25 for 206 yards, two TDs, and uh, he also ran uh, for 61 yards and a touchdown. So he, he extremely valuable, yeah. obviously. I yeah. think I, I, read, I did read a stat, Zach, that he is the only quarterback to, uh, I think, in the last 20 years to get a uh, rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown in the first six games. I did see that stat. That's pretty. That's pretty ridiculous. I mean, it really puts that's into context. Impressive. Yeah, yeah, the kind of season he's having. Um, you, <laughs> Chad, you you stole my offensive player of the game. I agree with you. To me, it's Fields, and uh, he, he began the game. You know, obviously a, a very uh, a, you know very slow start for Fields. Sixteen yards passing and negative sixteen yards rushing in the first quarter, and then after that he accounted for two hundred seven two hundred sixty seven total yards and three touchdowns. I loved his toughness last night. That touchdown that he had in the third quarter to put Ohio State up 34-10, he got popped at the uh, right at the goal line, and you know it took him a second to get up. Uh, you know he was sacked several times. He took a lot of big hits. To me, I saw a lot of toughness from him. He's not just a talent; he's a tough dude. Um, it was actually Doug Marie that had pointed out on his pod the other night or earlier, like late last night. Uh, that the mere presence of Fields, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, that the mere presence of Fields and the threat that he presents as a runner is really what created those two big, long touchdowns by Victor and Dobbins. I mentioned that earlier in the podcast, so I won't go into that again. Um, 
let's face it, man, he is the, the difference maker on this offense this year. I think he's the number one difference maker on this offense. I would go to the offensive line after him. Um, another fun question is, who does Fields remind you of? Uh, is he a, you know, a Vince Young? Uh, it would be fun to think about, like, what type of player that, that he reminds you of. Vince Young is a guy who comes to mind, to me, a Vince Young who actually with a little bit more arm talent, in my opinion. Uh, the defensive player of the game for me was Baron Browning. And we really didn't hear from him until the second half. But I saw something that the Ohio State defense tried. I, I assume this was Halfley and Madison's, uh, you know, um, kind of co-authoring this. But Baron Browning had a sack in the game where he lined up at the left defensive end. They moved Chase Young to the inside. So you had Young and Browning on the left side of the line. Of course, the offensive line was completely preoccupied with, with uh, Young. Browning came free, and I've, I have never seen a linebacker get to a quarterback so fast in my life, and he absolutely devoured Lewerke. And then it was actually Bra- Browning who had the pass deflection that led to Fuller's interception. And then, unfortunately, it was Browning who was flagged for the illegal block, which was total bullshit. It was a clean block. Actually, if it were last year, he would have been credited with a really good block to spring Fuller for the touchdown. In any case, Baron Browning has been fun to watch him emerge this year. Uh, he's becoming more and more valuable to that defense. He was my defensive player of the game. Like it. Like it, yeah. Any other, um, any other comments, any other individual performances we want to identify before we move on? Nope. Nope. Not that I could think of, man. No? All right. So uh, there was one other game that I think is worth talking about. I think we all watched it. Now that's debatable. That's <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that was some that's of the worst true. Sloaner, I was actually, during the game, I actually did look for Cobra somewhere online. I could not find the, the that movie anywhere because I, I would have read, either that or Tango and Cash would have been much more entertaining than, than... Yeah, my kid was playing Roblox to me and it was far more entertaining than that game. <laughs> of course, we're talking about the Michigan-Iowa game yesterday. Uh, an absolute snoozer. 10-3 to Michigan prevails. Paige, you had Michigan winning this game. Uh, I don't think you got to see much of it, but I want to give you credit. You were the only one that thought Michigan would come out of this game, and I think you had them winning by a touchdown, 10-3. to uh, I, I, I called Michigan, too. You that. called Michigan, too? All right. Yeah, all right. You so were, yeah but you got to be on the right. podcast for it to count, Plumber. Yeah, so that's game right. on the pod doesn't count. It, yeah, yep. that's right. I, out, yeah. out of bounds. I, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but I did have you mention it for me. <laughs> I know. I know. Tim, did you get a chance to see any of this game, the Michigan-Iowa game? And if you did, why don't, why don't you tell us what you saw? I, I did. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about it. I mean, two ugly teams, an ugly game, an ugly score, and, you know, it was, I don't know, it was worse than a snooze fest. It was like, you know, you tried to go to sleep and you couldn't because it was so bad. Um, just, you know, it just kept waking you up. Um you know, Iowa. I mean, Iowa had every chance in that game to mm-hmm. win. The penalties, the turnovers, just every chance they gave Michigan. And yeah, Michigan four can still only, yeah, four turnovers. And Michigan can still only muster ten points at home. Yeah, I mean, they exactly. are awful. Yeah, they, awful, <laughs> awful on offense. So, yeah, <laughs> just, just, just fucking terrible. <laughs> uh, Shea Patterson should go back to Mississippi or Toledo or wherever the fuck he's from. <laughs> And 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, they'd be better off starting the kid that had a concussion. McCaffrey, um, yeah. McCaffrey, yeah. Um, and so I just it just doesn't look good for Michigan. And, and coming up, uh, in, I think in three of the next five weeks, they play uh, Penn State, uh, Notre Dame, and Michigan State. And, you know, based on how Michigan State against the, played against us in the first quarter, uh, I'd say they beat Michigan. So that could be three losses right there. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to imagine them getting past Penn State in Happy Valley. That's on October the 19th. Uh, then they turn right around the following week and host Notre Dame. Then they go to Maryland, and eh, Maryland's turned out to be not what uh, what we maybe thought they might be early in the season. And then they come home against Michigan State. And, and yes, Tim, to your point, uh, how are they going to move the football against that Michigan State defense? And Michigan State, quite frankly, has kind of owned them, uh, you know, since since Harbaugh took over. Chad, did you happen to catch any of that game? And, and if so, what did you see? Yeah, you know what? I was more interested in watching the Florida Auburn game at three thirty, and that, that that game was just it was god awful. I mean, and like you know, Tammy, we just talked about the four turnovers. I mean, two of those turnovers they were almost in the red zone, and they still couldn't score. It mm-hmm. was just, I mean, their defense looked a little bit better than what it's looked over the last you know first few games or body of work, but their offense is just awful, man. I mean, it's just that. That Collins kid's a pretty good receiver. Is it Nico Collins? Nico Collins, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a pretty good receiver, and I don't think that Donovan People Jones he's back to one hundred percent healthy. But they just don't have a quarterback, and they're they, I mean they're just they're just awful, depressing. I mean it's, it's it's so funny to see fucking Carball chewing his gum like a fucking typewriter, you know, <laughs> out there throwing the football before the game starts. Shit, and I just you know I I love seeing him get a bad beat. <laughs> Was he wearing but, cleats for the know, game? I, 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 <laughs> yeah. you know, sometimes he wears I cleats. <laughs> yeah, he's an idiot. Matt, what did you see? I did you he's in a khaki commercial now, too. <laughs> Matt, now, did you switch over from uh, Cobra to watch any of this game? or Sorry, you said you were playing no. with one of your daughters, right? Oh, yeah, the daughters were building a character in Roblox, and uh, I, I checked the phone every every five minutes because I thought if I watched it, my eyes, I'd turn into stone or something worse. (laughs) 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 Well, I I actually did watch most of the game. And I think there's one stat that really kind of sums up. Yeah. I think it tells you everything you need to know about this game, which was that uh, of four Iowa turnovers, Michigan was only able to produce three points. And that, to me, says everything you need to know about both offenses in this game. Iowa turned it over four times. Terrible. But the Michigan offense could only turn it into three points, which is awful. So neither team did much of anything. 261 total yards of offense for Iowa. 267 total yards for Michigan. Um, uh, You had uh, Shea Patterson, his line, 14 to 26, 147 yards. He had one nice pass play to Nico Collins that went for 51 yards early in the game. I, honestly, I think Michigan's only chance is to wake up to the fact that the best unit they have on that team is their group of receivers. They've got four guys that are going to be playing on Sundays. Nico Collins, I think, is the best of them. If, if you're Josh Gaddis, it's absolute dereliction of duty if you do not attempt five or six pass plays in one-on-one coverage down the field to Nico Collins a game. Because all you got to do is throw it up. 
I mean, that guy comes down with the ball every single time. I think he's a legitimately good receiver, and I think you know the other three guys are, are, are good as well. The, the question is Shea Patterson, right? I mean, is he going to be able to get the ball to them? But they got to find a way to involve those receivers if they're going to have any hope of contending for the Big Ten. I was really disappointed in Nate Stanley. I honestly thought, and I said embarrassingly now on the pod, that I thought Iowa would be coming out of the West because I thought Stanley was the second-best quarterback in, the, in that uh, conference. He was pretty dreadful, 23 of 42 for 260 yards and three picks, no touchdowns. Iowa really shot themselves in the foot again and again and again with turnovers and, and uncharacteristic penalties. And they had a shot to win this game as bad as it was for them on offense late in that game. Uh, they completed a ball late in the fourth quarter down to the Michigan 25-yard line, and then I think they had four penalties and allowed a sack, uh, ended up having to punt. Um, so it was pretty awful. And I, I didn't come away from that game thinking either of those teams had any chance in hell of competing with Ohio State for the Big Ten. Um, but but that's that's what I saw out of that game. Any other comments on... Uh, on Iowa, Michigan. <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a, I, I, so if you take, if you take the combined score of Michigan, Iowa, and the ten points that Michigan State scored, you have a whopping twenty-three points from three of really honestly the blue bloods of the Big Ten. And if you're fans of those schools and you watch a team like Ohio State that has clearly just separated itself from you, mm-hmm. and these are still the offenses that you're running prehistoric this isn't like a new thing right i mean yeah, yeah. it's prehistoric chip i mean this is now like eight years what are you waiting for how can it be this hard how can it be this bad mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's honestly embarrassing yeah and it reminds me you know like when we had that stretch where we were just getting killed uh in the national championship game and it's like the big 10 slow and the big and guess what you know we had skilled players but it was on the interior on the line we adjusted and we went and got those players. And it, it's it's almost as if the Big Ten outside of Ohio State has just been asleep at the wheel for the better part of a decade now. And it's freaking embarrassing. Yeah. It's Ten the, to three? Ten to three. Yeah, it's the mid-70s still in, in the Big Ten. I, you know, I, I, Iowa, I mean, as much as critical as we've been of, of Michigan and, and their offensive struggles, Iowa's offense is utterly prehistoric. I mean, they're and they're obviously not Michigan, right? They they don't have that same profile, so I guess they kind of go under the radar and unnoticed. But I mean, they're still well, running a prehistoric offense. And how many receivers are they sending out in these formations? Maybe two or three. Uh, you know, I, to your point, Paige, it's time to come into the modern era of offense. Tim, you were going to make a point. It, it, it is, yeah. And the only thing I'd say is I'd say two things. I, I totally agree with Paige with your with your question about how this can happen. But there, I think there's two things. One is that somebody made a very good comment about, you know, kind of the current state of Michigan. And so here you have Harbaugh, right? He tries, he goes out, he gets Josh Gaddis, who's going to run a spread offense, he's going to change it. And the point that this person made is, hey, look, I don't care how good of an offensive mind you bring in and then have them change the schemes and all this. At the current point in time, you don't have the players to play that scheme. So if Harbaugh wants to embark on completely changing his offense, which it seems like he's at least trying to do, that's a five-year rebuild to get the types of players in that you need to run those plays and Mm -hmm. to be familiar with that kind of offense. And so, 
you know, maybe Michigan's trying, but it's just going to take longer than one year. And, you know, I don't know if he's got the time to do it, but, but agreed. I mean, I think Penn State's the only other team you could say runs yeah. uh, an offense that's not from, yeah, not from the 80s. The other thing is, is that I, I got to say, like, Ohio State and Michigan have the patina as programs, and, and Penn State's pretty close. But, man, if you're, if you're P.J. Fleck or, or, or you're, you know, Kirk Ferens or you're one of these other Big Ten schools, I mean, even, even Scott Frost got tough, man, it is fucking hard to get people to go to Iowa. Or yeah. Minnesota, or Nebraska, <laughs> or you know, look at how hard it is for us to pull kids out of California. They're like, you kidding me? I'm going to Ohio for four years. That, I mean, Ohio State's awesome, but like, I'll, I'll go to Florida, or I'll go to Texas, or I'll stay in California. So, yeah. there there are built-in disadvantages that some of these schools have. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. And, and Tim, actually, I think you make a, a another good point mentioning Penn State because that game is starting to loom larger and larger with every week. Uh, Penn State has looked pretty impressive, and they were impressive again yesterday. Uh, I have not seen a ton of them, but their quarterback, Sean Clifford, looks to be the type of quarterback that could potentially give Ohio State trouble. We'll see. I mean, it's reasonable to think that Penn State can compete with Ohio State because they have the last three years. I mean, it was a one-point game each of the last two years, a three-point game in 2016 in Happy Valley, which we lost. I'm just looking at Clifford's statistics so far. He's thrown for 1,443 yards, 12 touchdowns, and only two INTs. We can quibble a little bit with, with Penn State's schedule, but you know you could probably also make that same criticism of Ohio State. That game is starting to loom large for Ohio State, and it's it's tough because also where it falls on the schedule the week before Michigan, and and if we're you know we can look ahead, we're fans. We're not playing in these games. If we're talking about a playoff berth for Ohio State, you're talking about home against Penn State, going to Ann Arbor, which I think we can win. I think we can win comfortably, but it's still the Michigan game. And then you turn around the following week, you're going to have to play the, the the West champ, which could be Wisconsin again. That could be another black and blue you know, uh, beater of a game. That's going to be a tough stretch for Ohio State. That Penn State game, man, who does the freaking scheduling? For I mean, who's doing that? Like, nobody else in the country hey, is doing that. It's brutal. Iron sharpens iron, Zach. Yeah. We need, to be, we need to be sharp going into the conference game and to the playoffs. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, and... And to your point, Zach, I mean, I think we'll find, I agree with you, Penn State hasn't played anybody, but they've looked good playing nobody. So they've done everything that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out how good Penn State is. They're at Iowa, Michigan at home, and then at Michigan State. So, I mean, that'll give us a better gauge of sort of who Penn State is after those three games. That's true. Good point. That's true. Yeah, and you know, the last two years, the, that Penn State game, I don't think Ohio State played particularly well in either of those games. I thought they were dreadful no. in the first half of both of the last two matchups with Penn State, and I get the sense that Ryan Day is going to have them more prepared for Penn State than Urban Meyer did the last two years. Um, yeah, you know, players have off days, teams have off days, and it's just like you're hoping that what happens is what we saw last night. They, 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 they come out uh, with the, the, you know, the defense was on their heels for a couple series. They didn't know, that, you know, they were letting a lot of big plays go. Big plays, like 10, 15 yards, but they were definitely playing less aggressively than normal, uh, and that weren't at their peak. So, 
you know, it's, I think it's good that we have these kind of games that we had last night, but uh, you know, it's how they are going to respond and how the coaches respond. And, you know, this team that we're seeing is responding really well. So I'm excited for when they play the Wisconsin, Penn State, yeah. Michigan. I could say I'm excited about the Michigan game, but I would probably be lying to you. Uh, I, <laughs> I guess I should be a little bit more worried about Wisconsin, but I just they're a one-trick pony with Jonathan Taylor. I think that quarterback is totally ordinary. I just don't see how Wisconsin competes being so one-dimensional on offense. And I know that defense is supposedly good. Frankly, I think Ohio State probably just faced the best defense in the Big Ten in Michigan State. But yeah, of the games left on their schedule, it's the Penn State game that worries me the most because of where it falls on the schedule. Matt, you make a good point. Iron sharpens iron. But man, that's tough. The week before Michigan. Um I'm just I'm less concerned about Wisconsin, maybe than I should be. I guess we'll find out. Um, Tim, what did you think? I, I, so, you know, I, I was back in Columbus for the first time in about ten years for the Cincy game, and and the campus was barely recognizable to me, and and I couldn't recognize anything on High Street from from my days, you know, uh, way back when when I was a student, um, but. <laughs> I just wanted to throw this out there just just for fun. Do you guys remember the first bar that you had your first drink at at Ohio State? Oh. Tim, oh. Tim, yeah. Tim did, did you, first of all, <laughs> does that bar still exist based on what you saw this weekend at Ohio State? And do you remember? Uh, so I don't remember, um, honestly. If I had to take a guess, I guess it was one of the stables, like Papa Joe's or something. Um <laughs> But, you know, what was interesting is I, th- I thought about this very question, which is, like, what's still there that was there when we were there? And everything is gone, as far as I can tell, except for two bars, and they're two classics, right? The Outer Inn and the yeah. Beer Stube, both yeah. still there. Nice. <laughs> Matt, do you remember where you had your first drink at Ohio State? Uh, it was hard for me to – it'll be impossible for me to forget that. It was at Mama's Pasta and Brew – with uh, Alan Freight Train Walker and the inimitable Matt Gundick <laughs> <laughs> drinking pitchers, and I don't know why I remember that. I just remember, I just remember Alan saying to me, "Yeah, Matt's a professional. Matt Gundick, so he's a uh, professional dancer." And Matt Gundick takes a big drink of his beer and goes, "Matt, I have a sexuality that women can't seem to resist." <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> and he said, he, he said it with all the earnestness in the world, and I was just like, "What have I gotten myself into?" And it was a very—I could say that's the first beer, that's the first place I drank at bar I drank at. And that's the first place I blacked out at. <laughs> they were the same night, the same event, <laughs> the same night. First drink and first blackout. Actually, that probably happens a lot for most people, right? First drink, first blackout. I know that was that was pretty much, pretty much how it happened with me. Um, Chad, do you uh, have any recollection of when you where you had your first drink on campus? Yeah, I'll be I be I'll be honest with you, like what like Tim and I, I don't remember, but I would imagine it was probably Papa Joe's. But I remember living on the eighth floor in Smith Hall, and we lived here at the end. I lived with Jeff Primus, and I could never 
ever make it back to the bathroom. So I'd just go out to the stairwell and make floor and just throw up everywhere out there and just <laughs> go right back into the room. <laughs> they might have been Long Island iced teas too. Ooh. Yikes. Long Island iced teas. <laughs> well, uh, I, Mr. Page had to uh, catch a flight, so he had to sign off for the evening. Um, I have absolutely no, no idea where I had my first drink on campus. Was there a place called Park Alley? <laughs> Does that ring a bell? Wasn't it kind of like an all-in-one like bar slash club? They had like a basketball hoop out in the back. Uh, they had sand in the back. Sa- Tim like sand volleyball. Yeah. yeah, sand volleyball. For some reason, that rings sand a bell. Volleyball. Yeah, that that that's Park a place. Alley was a great bar that I <laughs> that I remember. Actually, my first drink. I was I was a really nice wholesome kid in high school. I did not drink in high school. My first drink ever was in Cuernavaca, Mexico in the study abroad program that both Paige and Jimmy and Donald Simon and I all did together. That's where we all met. It was winter quarter 1991 and I won a dance contest and with the dance contest came a free drink which they set on fire and I drank it on fire and then I continued to drink and that was Sloan, like your first experience. That was also my first drink and my first blackout because the drinks didn't stop. So I don't know if you can consider Cuernavaca an extension of the Ohio State campus that year. I, th- I'm counting it as that, but that was my first <laughs> drink at Ohio State. Sounds like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're about 53 minutes in, guys. I think it's been a pretty good effort. We've we've covered Ohio State, I think, pretty thoroughly. We've got a we've got an off week coming up this week. Is there anything else you guys want to cover before we shut it down for the night? I think I'm good. We're all yeah, good. I think that's it. Yep. All right, fellas. Well, hey, listen. Thanks for making the time, and uh, we will reconvene. Possibly during the week, midweek. I guess we can figure that out later. Maybe to go over some other games coming up this weekend. If not, we'll we'll definitely be back the following week to recap, to re, to preview and recap Ohio State. Sounds All good, right, guys. All right, fellas. Have a great night. Go Bucks. Bye.